Yeah, welcome from me as well. If you're a visitor with us for the first time, great to have you. If you're visiting on Zoom, great to have you. Uh, I want to start this sort of message that I'm going to share with, with these words that are very important, that are critical. For God so loved the world. He loves you that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him won't perish but will have eternal life. God loves you. God wants to have a relationship with you. God wants to fill you with himself. God wants to renew you day by day until you become the person who he's created you to be and in that you will find all the satisfaction that you want in life. All the joy, all the purpose, all the meaning, all of that because God gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have life and life to the full. (laughs) That is a message, isn't it? It took 60 seconds to say it. And yet you know and I know, certainly if you've experienced its power at work in your own life, just how much it means. (laughs) That is the message. That is the good news. The, The message about Jesus that this book of Acts that we are as a church sort of journeying through a little bit uh, of a chunk of bits at a time really is all about. It's, It's about the spread of that message. Exactly what I shared with you now, more or less. It's the the, the, the journey or or, or the story or the history really because it's not fiction, it's true. It's how this message that I shared with you just then actually came to us this morning. We are connected to it. And I think that in itself is just such a mind-boggling thing to think that that message of God's love for you, for me, was passed down to us so that this morning on the 29th of August, I think it is, I get to share it again with you. Now, we've seen in this last few weeks in this message of Acts that it's sort of, and I'm not going to say much here on this. Um, oh, where's my little thingy? That message spread from uh, a place called Jerusalem. Um, where is Jerusalem? Oh, this map. Oh, it's very blurry. Uh, Jerusalem is here somewhere, isn't it? Yeah, I think. Is it? Can any of you see? It's too blurry. Okay, somewhere there in the centre is a place called Jerusalem, you know, but, and, and, and we've seen that, just, just in brief, the characters, you know, a guy called Philip takes this message up north to Samaria, um, this, this place here up north of Jerusalem, and then it goes sort of south to, uh, to Africa where we've got this Philippian guy, but the place where it hasn't gone yet is sort of it's making its way west from its origin in this place called Jerusalem. And most of us here, by the way, not all of us, but most of us here, you only know that message because it went west. 
In other words, it hasn't started its make, making its way to you and me yet, right? And this morning's story is really about who will God choose to take that message that I just shared with you of God's love? Who's going to take it? Who am I going to work through to get this message out west? Today we're talking about that person. You've already met him in the little reading. His name is Saul. It starts out with Saul. Uh, snapshot of who Saul is. Saul was born in a, in a place called Tarsus. That's much better, isn't it? Uh, yeah, he's born in a place called Tarsus. It's there. Um, here is Jerusalem where it's all going for. Paul lives there. Tarsus. In history, he lives in an interesting geographical place. He knows a lot about all the Greek philosophies and stuff because he's not kind of in the East. He knows all about, uh, you know, the culture of the West, so to speak, of the Greeks. He also knows a lot about Jewish life and culture. He's trained at a sandstone Jewish college under a sandstone Jewish rabbi called Gamaliel. He's a very clever man. He's a well-educated man. He's an academic, smart, he's got a lot of brains. He can also work with his hands. He's also a bit of a craftsman. He can make tents. He apparently, according to extra scriptural resources, was also very ugly, <laughs> we're told. <laughs> so there is hope, isn't there, <laughs> for, uh, for the likes of myself to be effective for the gospel if you don't look, if you don't look any good. Um, Oh, thank you, Donna. Donna says she thinks I look handsome. And she's my wife, just for the record. <laughs> but that's not what I want you to know about Saul, really. What he looked like physically, or where he lived, or what he knew. Here's, here's some of the more weighty things you need to know about Saul. I'm going to read some scriptures. I'm going to read a fair bit of scripture to you, Dave. But come with me, if you would, to this. We've been here in Acts. We've spoken about a man named Stephen who was executed with rocks being thrown on his head until he's dead. And Saul stood there, approved of their killing him. Today's reading, Saul we're still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. In his own words, Saul later on says in his life, I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. For for anyone who told you what I told you this morning, that God loves you, he gave his son Jesus, that you may be forever changed by him. Anyone who said that, I persecuted. On the authority of the chief priest, I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down 
in foreign cities. This is Saul of Tarsus. And let me add to the weight of this, perhaps the mystery or the confusion, because I really want you to feel it. This is the same man (laughs) who, right towards the end of his life, says this. I'm going to read it. Please take it in. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of... Of Christ. But what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. I want to know Christ. Yes to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. You've got to ask the question here. What happened? What happened for a guy to move from, from over here, being okay to throw the rocks And take the life of a person who spoke the name Christ as Lord and go right over here and say, that Christ is the only one I want to know in my life. And I consider everything, everything garbage compared to knowing that Christ. That's astonishing, isn't it? Of all the things we've seen in human history, this would have to be one of the most astonishing things we've seen. So the question then is, what happened? I mean, that's really the only thing that we're going to talk about today. Is, is There's no real points. I'm going to share some things with you in the Damascus passage, but realistically, there's only one thing I want to say. And it's only one word. What is Paul's story, his life story that begins here on this Damascus road? What does it show us about God? It wants to show us something about God. And I would like to put it to you that it shows us the thing about God that makes him absolutely unique. That sets him in a class of his own. That no worldview, that no religion, that nothing else on the face of the earth has ever come close to that is true about this God whom we're worshipping today. Do you know what it is? One word, grace. It's grace. (laughs) What makes a man like that move from here to move to here? What makes a man like that move to write over 50% of what is in your Bible in the New Testament and make you love it. What, What does that? It's grace. What is grace? Let's work with that just for a little bit and then I'll get to the passage. 
if, if I was to ask you, can you illustrate to me what grace is? I wonder what you would say. It's a very strange word in our vocabulary, in our culture. It's the name of a removalist company. All right. It's a beautiful name for someone who prayed for us this morning. It's a wonderful word to talk about being dignified, graceful. But I doubt any of it comes remotely close to what it actually means, to its true force and power in human existence. What is it? Can I... One of the best illustrations I've ever seen of grace is, uh, is from one of the movies made of, uh, of Les Mis, Les Miserables, Victor Hugo's, is Victor Hugo, isn't it? His famous story and the many screenplays that have been showed of it. And there's one scene in it that is absolutely phenomenal. Can I ask you to uh, just roll that, guys? We'll watch it. And I want you to look out for the illustration of grace that's embedded in this scene. Thank you. So we'll use wooden spoons. I don't want to hear anything more about it. I'm sorry to disturb you. You caught him. But I had my eye on this man. Oh, and thank God. I'm very angry with you, Jean Valjean. What happened to your eye, Monseigneur? Didn't he tell you he was our guest last night? Oh, yes. After we searched his knapsack and found all this silver, he claimed. <laughs> that you gave it to him. Yes. Of course I gave him the silverware. But why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish. Madame Gillot, fetch the silver candlesticks. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Hurry. Monsieur Valjean has to get going. He's lost a lot of time. Did you forget to take them? Are you saying he told us the truth? Of course. Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him. You're really letting me go? Didn't you understand the bishop? Madame Gillot, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you.
don't forget. Don't ever forget. You've promised to become a new man. Promise? Why are you doing this? Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. Undeserved, unmerited favor and goodness. <laughs> That's grace, if you would, for a dictionary definition. That's Paul. <laughs> Undeserved, unmerited, unconditional <laughs> favour, almost reckless, insensible favour. Paul's own words. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. Three questions for you this morning. Grace. Have you received it? Have you received it? You're no killer like Paul, or perhaps a thief like Jean Valjean from Les Mis, but you are undeserving. You are most certainly undeserving of the goodness and the favour of God. You are most certainly undeserving of the blood of his own son spilt for the forgiveness of your sins so that you may know him and never perish but live into an eternity with God. And yet, he offers it. He offers it to you. He offered it to you last week. I mean, really, this is what Jesus is all about in the invitation that he would reveal himself to you, that he would come and make a home within you and if you want that, you ask him to. That is the simple act of receiving the grace. Jesus, may I know you. I want to know God. I want to know this love. Can I receive the grace? Can you give me what I do not deserve and I know that I don't? That's the place to start in the Christian life. And I invite you again this morning to make that start if you have not.
Grace, have you received it? That's the first question. Number two. Grace, is it working in you? You see, there's an ongoing thing about this whole thing about grace. Once we know God, once he fills us with his spirit, then the real work begins. Then it begins where he starts to change us. There's an incredible story of, uh, of um, well, Les Mis' story of Jean Valjean. The whole thing is that he completely and utterly changes twice in his life. He saves two people who also did not deserve to be saved, and yet he goes on to do it. He's this transformed man who is forever and ever changed by what was shown him by that priest. You see, that's the nature of grace. It's always going to keep changing you. You can't walk away from it unchanged. This is how powerful it is. This is how powerful it's meant to be. Is it working in you? Not just have you received it, but on an ongoing basis, is it working in you? Right? You say, well, how is it working in me? Okay, I'll give two practical examples. One is in the area of how we are changing, you know, when we're grappling with our own sin. You say, hey, you know what? I struggle with, uh, uh, I struggle with an addiction. I'm addicted to pornography. You think, I've failed again in living up to the way I know that God wants me to live. And yet every morning when you wake up, Jesus is with you and he says, let me help you again. You still don't deserve my favor. You still don't deserve my help. You still don't deserve my power, but I will still give it to you again and again and again. And so you can think of any conceivable thing that you struggle with, every conceivable thing that's wrong about you, that God is in the process of changing. He stands again and again and again there saying, let me help you. Let my grace continue to transform you. That's one way in our changing to become people who bear the fruit of the Spirit, who live like people who have received grace. But there's another way in which that grace is extremely powerfully at work in us, or it should be. Did you notice this? Did you notice in the passage that Karen read to us, when Jesus talks to Paul on this Damascus road, he asks him these questions. Why do you persecute me? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Why not say, why have you persecuted Stephen? What are you doing to my church? Why are you being violent and murderous and carrying out such injustice against my people, my children? No, no. Me. It's me who you're hurting. You know what that means for you? If you're a child of God, it means that every hurt, every pain, every suffering, every trial, every piece of brokenness is His. It's His. He feels it just as you feel it. 
in that moment, you know, there's this, this, this incredible union that you have with Jesus that connects you and that connects him to his church, this indwelling of each other. And what it should give you in the moment of your struggle and of your affliction and in your suffering is hope, is the grace that he is with you, that your, your pain is his and his glory is yours. It doesn't take away the mystery of why it happens in the first place, but it sure as anything should give you courage and hope that he feels what you feel. He knows what you know. It is me, Jesus says, who gets persecuted. It is me who feel the hurt. It's an astonishing identification and an insight into the intimacy that exists between Jesus and his children and the grace that he makes available for them. We saw that in Stephen. In the midst of his suffering, in the midst of his trial, he saw Jesus. That is the ongoing grace that God gives. Has given Stephen, will give you in your moment of pain and hurt and suffering and trial. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. It is grace that continues to work in you. Okay, grace, have you received it? Grace, is it at work in you? And then finally, grace, is it at work through you? Okay? Gets us to the second half of this passage. Do you notice there's something really interesting about how Paul's incredible journey on the Damascus Road finishes? It, it, it's, it's got this incredible vision the supernatural encounter with Jesus. Then he goes into this city called Damascus where he was going to carry out his persecution. But at what point would you say, in all of that, did Saul become a Christian? At what point did the grace of God, in other words, the Holy Spirit, who comes and lives in him, who brings God real into his experience. At what point does that become true and real for Saul? <laughs> it's when Ananias comes. It's when Ananias prays. <laughs> it's when Ananias lays his hands on Paul that his sight is restored. He becomes filled with the Spirit. He gets baptized. And you know what God does with Ananias? He extends grace. The grace of God works and is extended through his people. Right? The church. It's when the church comes around Paul. It's when the church envelops him and surrounds him that he becomes a recipient of the grace that God has given him. So there's a real powerful insight here into the purpose and the existence of the church. Do you know that if you are a Christian, if you, if you do believe in Jesus, that the way that Jesus is going to bring in and draw in and call in other people to understand and experience the love of God is through you. It is through his church. That is how the grace gets extended. Think about your own life for me, will you? I'm willing to bet that you did not become a Christian if you are one out of thin air. The truth is, there was one 
at least one, if not many more people, who knew the grace of God and who passed it on to you. It could be a book that you read. It could be a podcast that you listened to. It could be a family member. It could be a parent. But at some point in that journey, the grace of God reached you through the church, through someone else who knew that grace, someone else who loved you, someone else who prayed for you. I'm not saying the church is the one who decides who gets to be Christians or not, but I am saying that the church is a bit like a glove. glove can do nothing on its own. The church is like that when it comes to extending and, and, and sharing the grace of God. God, for some reason, chooses to work through a glove, right? Ananias is the glove that just goes out to Paul and he just embraces him and he places his hand on him and he receives the grace of God. Same for you, same for me. It hasn't changed. All right, grace. Is it, have you received it? Is it working in you on a continual and an ongoing basis? Is it working through you? Is it working through us as a church? Those are three questions. I'm going to conclude in two minutes. I want to ask now, maybe make it five. Uh, two questions that people ask about this perhaps. Um, no, the questions aren't on the slides. Sorry, blank me out. Two questions that you might still ask about this whole story of, 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 of Paul's conversion, okay? The, the serious questions. Number one, what about justice? What about justice? You know, this poor guy, Stephen, who got murdered, his wife, his children, they've received no justice. How does this work? How does God work in that, in that there's no... Is that it? You know? Saul who murdered other people. God comes to him, shows him grace and he moves on and there's, there's no justice. Yeah, that's a tough question. I, I think people often wrestle with this. Does, does grace mean that there is no justice? It, it doesn't. Here's why. Firstly, because I think we romanticise what it's like to receive grace. Paul is a recipient of God's grace. He had to live with his conscience for the rest of his life. I'm not saying that he should have felt guilty. I'm not saying that God made him feel guilty, but nevertheless, he knew what he did. There's no way in which that wasn't weighing on him very heavily and he needed the grace of God to carry the burden of his past wrongs. Okay. Number two, again, this isn't sort of a real big point, but did you notice in verse 16 of the passage that God... Jesus says to Ananias, go to Paul because I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my name. Grace calls us to suffering. There's no romanticized picture that Paul all of a sudden had all his past bad stuff wiped out and there was no hardship for him. He lived this ideal cushy little life. He did not. He describes his sufferings to us in other parts of the Bible and it's incredible what this guy has suffered for the sake of Jesus. Thirdly, what about justice? Can you imagine for me the alternative form of justice? Let's say that God said the right thing to do 
is really because Paul stoned Stephen, we should stone Paul. That's justice, isn't it? That's the right thing to do. Now let's consider that did happen. (laughs) We wouldn't have 50% of the New Testament. There's no Gentile mission. There's no me saying to you this morning, God loves you. Sure, maybe God could have done it some other way. True. But he did it this way. And I put it to you that there's not a single Christian who would say that that was a bad move on God's part. It wasn't. It wasn't. Because you see, true grace is not the enemy of justice. Instead, it's a better and a higher form of justice that brings about a better result. I'll say that again. True grace isn't the enemy of justice. It's a better and a higher form of justice that brings about a better outcome. Paul's story is classic proof of that. Jean Valjean's story is classic proof of that. Now that priest not given him those candlesticks, the stunning story of what that man went on to do was impossible. It was a better justice. It was a better outcome. <laughs> right? That's grace. Second question, as I move to a close. Some of you might be quite sceptical here and go, seriously, a vision? Don't know. It's all a bit superstitious, isn't it? God coming out of nowhere, speaking to this guy, scales falling off his eyes. Defies a little bit what we know about how life works and science works and all that kind of stuff. Isn't that a bit of a long bow to draw? It's a good question. And yes, you would be right in saying it certainly is not normal. Or what we consider to be normal. Yes, absolutely. But here's the thing that makes it believable for me. You've got to go and look at Saul's life carefully. I probably should have included it in this message to read out to you the list of what he went through in terms of suffering in his life to the point of he probably was crucified like Jesus was to say that God so loved the world that he gave you his one and only son, this Christ. Why would a person do that? Why would he receive, I think it was five times he received the 40 minus 1 lashes with the hooks and the barbs ripping the flesh out of his back. Five times. And then gets crucified for saying Jesus is Lord. I find the Damascus Road a hard stretch to believe as well, but I'm willing to say that whatever happened in this man's life on that road was deep. It was deep enough to drive him to the life that he lived. (laughs) And I'm okay to say yes. Yes, it happened. Yes, it's true. Because we know (laughs) the power of it. We've seen it, he's seen it, he's known it. Okay, let me finish. I'm not going to pray. I'm going to read to you a selection of Paul's writings. I mentioned that he goes on 
to write over 50% of the New Testament and there's something stunning each time he starts anything he writes. I've compiled them into a list. I'm going to read them to you and then the music team can come up. Accept these as a prayer but perhaps also as a blessing. Here we go. To all in Rome who are loved by God, called by his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father, from the Lord Jesus Christ. To the church of God in Corinth, grace and peace to you. To the church in Galatia, grace and peace to you. To God's holy people in Ephesus, grace and peace to you. To all God's holy people in Christ at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you. To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you. To the church of the Thessalonians, grace and peace to you. To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. To Titus, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Saviour. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. To Pathway to Life, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.